0: Welcome to Mercy Unbound. I am Dr. Brian Thatcher, and in today's show, I get to talk to Mark Drogen, a Jew, atheist, socialist, and now converted Catholic. He will share with us insights on how from the Old Testament perspective, the story of the prodigal son deals with the divided kingdoms of Israel, and the northern kingdom of Ephraim represents the prodigal son. Do you struggle forgiving others? How about yourself? we discuss the underlying theme in the prodigal Son story of forgiveness and the need for repentance and also the great mercy of God. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to Mercy Unbound. My name is Dr. Brian Thatcher, and uh, Mercy Unbound is a series that aims to provide hope and avenue for healing and one that will help you understand and then live the great mercy of God. With me today is Mark Drogan. He has written a manuscript called "Atheist Socialist Jew Catholic Reflections on the Holy Family." Uh, atheist socialist Jewish hippie, who found the key to unlocking the floodgates of mercy. We've got a tall order today, but I think we can do it. We're going to talk about some of Mark's manuscript that's yet to be published, but it's on the Prodigal Son, one of my favorite stories, and. As I've traveled around uh, all over the world really, meeting so many people, we find that forgiveness is, is a stumbling block to spiritual advancement. But Mark has uh, tied in the Old Testament because of his Jewish roots. And uh, I, th- I thought that was fascinating. So we're gonna talk about the Jewish story here that's in the prodigal son, as well as the practicalities for each one of us as we try to live the message of mercy. And he talks in his title, as I said, it's got to do with the Holy Family. And in the manuscript, uh, he wrote, in 2008, Cardinal uh, Kafara received a personal letter from Sister Lucia, of course, the visionary from Fatima, who wrote that the final battle between the Lord and the kingdom of Satan will be about the marriage and the family. And reconciliation is such a key element in the family. Um, Mark, just a basic question. You mentioned in your manuscript about Ephraim, if I'm pronouncing that right, in the Book of Genesis, and how does all this tie, from a Jewish perspective, into the story of the Prodigal Son?
1: Um, yes, the Ephraim is in. Uh, he's introduced in the Book of Genesis, and he is. Um, he's actually. We would say African. He's born in Egypt and his mother is Egyptian. Uh, He's the second son of Joseph and that's the Joseph in in the book of Genesis who is the uh, Joseph with the coat of many colors. And so a lot of people are familiar um, that the text in Genesis says that Jacob loved Joseph more than all his other sons, and the other sons were so jealous that they couldn't even speak to Joseph, and they wanted to kill him, and then the story goes on, they uh, threw him in a pit, and then they sold him to some Arabs who were passing by traveling to egypt he joseph was taken to egypt and he became the prime minister of egypt the second in command of all the empire and um there was a famine and, and but the uh joseph married the daughter of the high priest of egypt she was a pagan And she gave Joseph two sons. The first son was Manasseh, and the second son was Ephraim. Now, what becomes really important, a lot of people are familiar with that story a little bit. But not many people are familiar that the book of Genesis then describes in detail After uh, Joseph's brothers have all come down to Egypt, and they've gone back and forth a couple of times, and they bring Jacob, who is Israel, to Egypt, and Jacob is dying in Egypt, and that's Israel. and, And if we remember, Jacob is the one who tricked Esau out of the firstborn birthright, the firstborn blessing. So that's very important that Jacob had the blessing of his father, Isaac, and his grandfather, Abraham. And Jacob then tells Joseph, bring your two sons here that I may bless them. And Jacob, who's going blind, crosses his hands over. And the text in Genesis describes this in detail. The detail is shocking and indicates the importance of the story that Jacob crosses his hands over. And so he uses his right hand, which is the blessing of the firstborn on the younger son, who is Ephraim. And that's the Ephraim that we're talking about. So Joseph interrupts Jacob and he says father you're wrong you're making a mistake you're giving the firstborn blessing to Ephraim and this is the firstborn blessing that Jacob had fought for from Ephraim I mean from Esau and so Jacob is not the firstborn either but Jacob tells Joseph he says no I'm doing this on purpose I want to give my firstborn blessing to Ephraim and so he does and so In the history of salvation, in divine revelation, that becomes very important that Ephraim gets the firstborn blessing of Israel. And then later, after the exodus with Moses, and they cross through the desert and they enter into the promised land, Moses dies before they enter the promised land. And God doesn't let him enter. And that's detailed in the text, but then the uh, leadership is passed on to Joshua, who leads the Israelites across the river into the Promised Land. And Joshua is from the tribe of Ephraim. It, it, It seems very significant. So it's this a descendant of Ephraim who leads the israelites into the promised land and then eventually king david becomes king and king david this is centuries go by i'm I'm skipping centuries here but king david then consolidates all of these tribes of israel into one nation for the first time there's one nation ruled by david and then also by solomon for a short time but Uh, after David dies his son Solomon rules all the tribes of Israel but during Solomon's reign the northern tribes rebel against the southern tribes and the northern tribes are led by the tribe of Ephraim now this is centuries after Ephraim has died this is a tribe that has become a kingdom the kingdom of Ephraim but because Ephraim is the leader of this rebellion this civil war which is see americans have a hard time and i did have a hard time understanding that the rebels are in the north <laughs> seeing the rebels are in the north and that's throughout the history of the scriptures the northern tribes are the rebels and ephraim leads the northern tribes and they are 10 tribes, I think, in the north that follow Ephraim, but they're called the kingdom of Israel. So by this time, by the time of King David and Solomon, Ephraim and Israel become interchangeable. They become almost synonyms. The kingdom of Ephraim is the kingdom of Israel, and they are taken captivity by Assyria, which is north of Syria. It's more like Turkey. And, and uh, so Assyria takes these 10 tribes into captivity, and then they become, after centuries go by, they are known as the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And Jesus speaks in the Gospel of Matthew, he says, I came only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And when Jesus sends out the 12, In the Gospel of Matthew, he tells them, go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So an Israelite who's familiar with this history would think of Ephraim and these northern tribes that were taken captivity about 850 years before Jesus. And they were lost forever, and and nobody saw any chance that they would ever return.
0: So do they represent in the story... Then in the Prodigal Son, the rebellious son who wanted his father an inheritance, and yeah, yes, exactly. So the church fathers, for
1: two thousand years, really. Um, although sometimes we forget these things and we lose track of all the history, but the church fathers, the, the Christian church, fathers of the Christian Church, have consistently understood that that's a a parable in in the luke's gospel is a parable and it's kind of generic so you don't have to know the history of israel but if you do you see that the younger son the prodigal son who goes away to a faraway place represents ephraim and ephraim literally the the kingdom of ephraim in the time of david and solomon the kingdom of Ephraim refused to worship in Jerusalem. And so that is literally going away to a faraway place and refusing to come home because Jerusalem is Zion, which is represents our true spiritual home. So the younger son in the parable of the prodigal son refuses. Uh, He leaves home, he goes to a faraway place. And so that uh, church fathers have always understood that as a symbol, a symbolic reference to
0: the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Did the tribe of Ephraim, they did repent? Did they come back? Well,
1: historically, there's not much evidence of that. No, uh, but the Christian church then has, I think, pretty much understood the 12 apostles who are all from Galilee. Their 12 Galileans represent these lost tribes of, of the northern kingdom, the return of these lost tribes, because, see, the southern kingdom was and judea and that's where david and solomon reigned in judea so that would represent that judea would represent the older brother who stayed home the judeans and so galileans in the time of christ and the time of the apostles galileans were seen as um outside of judea see they were it was called galilee of the gentiles so when jesus called the 12 apostles from galilee they were seen as you know outside of judea and then they the scriptures say that they represented the 12 tribes of israel so that would represent these lost tribes coming back and that jesus came to reconcile the tribes of israel to bring them back
0: Now, in uh, Matthew's description, he goes into more detail, as you mentioned, and gives a more historical perspective relating it to um, Jeremiah 31. Could you share some thoughts on that?
1: Yes, uh, Jeremiah 31 is what I would call the secondary uh, prophecy of the return the return of the remnant of Israel. Now, it's very important. Uh, The primary prophecy is in what we call the book of Emmanuel, which is Isaiah chapter 7 through 11, where it has the prophecy that Matthew quotes in the first chapter of Matthew. um, A virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And that's where we get the name in the book of emmanuel because that's that primary prophecy that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son matthew quotes that but the book of emmanuel goes through chapter 11 and uh prophesies the return of the remnant of israel and in the book of emmanuel in the prophecy from isaiah that matthew quotes three times i believe isaiah says Ephraim will no longer be at enmity with Judah that's part of the prophecy of a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and the remnant shall return and Ephraim will no longer be at enmity with Judah so that's the primary prophecy but then Jeremiah expands it quite a bit and Jeremiah talks about literally if you read the hebrew jeremiah says the day will come when the nazarenes and that's an important word because the holy family lives in nazareth they are nazarenes in galilee of the gentiles so jeremiah says about this reconciliation of the the uh, tribes of israel jeremiah says the day will come when the nazarenes will go up to a mount and cry out let us return to Zion, because they're the, F, the ones from the northern tribes who refuse to worship in Zion. So Jeremiah that they, prophesies that they will say in Jeremiah 31, and Matthew quotes this. They will say, let us go up to Zion. And then Jeremiah the prophecy goes on and describes the remnant returning, the blind and the lame, Uh, coming back from the north literally it says coming back from the north and then it says rachel weeping for her children which matthew quotes and we're familiar with that rachel weeping for her children and she refused to be consoled because they were no more that's in jeremiah 31 in this passage but then god interrupts rachel in the book of jeremiah and matthew's readers know this because matthew's writing for people who are familiar with the hebrew prophets God tells Rachel, Stop your weeping. I will wipe you the tears from your face. I will bring your sons back. I hear Ephraim crying now. And in the book of Jeremiah, then we have Ephraim's act of contrition in the first person. Ephraim says, I will repent and return. I will return to Zion. I will repent and return. And the words, uh, if you look at the words, they're almost the exact words that the prodigal son uses in the parable in Luke. So there's a clear connection there with the prodigal son and Ephraim repenting. And so repentance becomes the fundamental message. I will repent and return to my father's house, which is what the prodigal son says. So that's really all you need to know because uh, St. Luke's gospel is the message of the gospel. There's nothing lacking, you get the gospel there. And that parable of the prodigal son tells us about the father's boundless
0: mercy. You know, Mark, uh, I found that historical perspective you just walked us through really interesting because uh, most of us don't know these things. But being more simplistic, I guess, I think of the two parts of Israel coming together. It's like a family. And uh, in the real sense, in America and throughout the world, families are torn asunder. There's so much, uh, people aren't speaking. I, I see it. Forgiveness is the biggest stumbling block in my mind to spiritual advancement because people hold on to things, they refuse to reconcile. And uh, people don't want to take the first step. And even like you said with the Father, but we have to ask for his mercy. And that requires humility. You know, the simple ABC of a mercy. A, ask for his mercy. B, be merciful to others. And C, completely trust in God. But you got to ask for his mercy. And uh, a few years ago, I was in Canada speaking, and uh, the first night was on forgiveness, And uh, the next night, a gentleman came up to me and said, oh, I just want to tell you what happened. Last night's talk really hit me because my cousins and I, none of us have spoken for years. When our parents were younger, they got into a fight and they never spoke to each other. And when all them passed, the the cousins just kept it up. And so nobody's talking to nobody. Well, he went home that night and called his uh, cousin And she wept on the phone, and there we're going to meet the next week. And I thought, you know, like if you look at this image of divine mercy, you can see Jesus's knees bent a little bit. He's walking, and somebody has to take the first step. And uh, this is just a beautiful, you've tied in the scripture in the Old Testament to this beautifully. And um, forgiveness is so difficult, isn't it?
1: Yes, yes, it's difficult. And it was difficult for me when I was 28 years old. Um, I was a, an atheist, I, I, unbaptized. I had uh, become interested in Jesus Christ, but I didn't really know him very well. But I was taking instructions in the Catholic Church, and I was desiring to be baptized. And uh, I was at a point where I thought, well, God Is merciful and god will forgive me but i doubted myself and i knew i had been reading some catechism and some catholic prayers and there was the uh uh, phrase a firm purpose of a, a true contrition for your sins and a firm purpose of amendment and i doubted if i had true contrition for my sins, and a firm purpose of amendment. I didn't doubt that God would forgive me, but I doubted myself, and what finally made the difference and and gave me the the hope to to be baptized in fear and trembling and take a leap of faith was uh, the priest that was instructing me actually explained that Really, we're human, and we don't have perfect uh, a purpose of amendment and perfect contrition. But we ask God to give it to us. We pray for it, and all we have to do is turn towards God. Now, the word "turn" is repent and return in Hebrew. It's all one word. Hmm repent and return to turn back to god to turn to god and so in the parable of the prodigal son it's so clear the father the merciful father wants his son to return and is waiting for his son to return and even goes outside the house looking for him to receive him but he waits until the son turns the And the the text that's in um, the prodigal son, it says when he, Jesus says in the parable, when he came to himself, and that's the same phrase in Jeremiah, Ephraim says it in the first person, Ephraim says, I came to myself, that's in Jeremiah 31, I came to myself, and so that's that, that introspection, or that metanoia, that change of mind, that change of heart, that conversion that god requires of us god is all merciful but he's not going to force us he's not going to violate our free will but we don't have to have perfect contrition the prodigal son obviously if you look at the text literally did not have perfect contrition he said let me be your servant i do not deserve to be um, your son He said, just let me be a servant. He said, and he had selfish motives. He said, I'll be better off as a servant in my father's house than I am here. So it was selfish. It was not perfect contrition, but it was good enough. He turned and he was sincere and he was without guile. He was sincere and God reads our hearts. And God knows if we take that one step toward God if we turn toward God he will rush out to meet us and that's what the father does in the parable he doesn't wait for the son to get all the way to the doorstep he rushes out to meet him because he reads his heart he knows that he is without guile that he is sincere and he's sorry he has enough that God in his divine mercy will give the grace to fill up what is lacking in our perfect contrition and make it good enough for us and that's where I was at when I was baptized I knew that I didn't have perfect contrition when I was baptized so I took a leap of faith and 45 48 years later I can say that I've been growing stronger in my faith every day, from faith to faith. I still don't have perfect faith. I still, you know, struggle, and I need the sacrament of confession. But what that means is to be sincere. God reads our hearts. And I wanted to just mention real quickly that we've talked about the Gospel of Luke, where you have this generic parable where you don't need to know the history of Israel. And in the Gospel of Matthew, where he's quoting uh, the the prophecies of Isaiah and Jeremiah, and really explaining the history of Israel and how Jesus brings together the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But in the Gospel of John, chapter one, in the Gospel of John, and a lot of people overlook this because they think of chapter 1 of the Gospel of John. There's a lot there. There's a lot in the first chapter of John's Gospel. But it ends with Philip going to find Nathanael. And Philip says, we found the one that Moses in the law and the prophets talked about, Jesus, the son of Joseph of Nazareth. And that's very important because it's Joseph of Nazareth. He's a Nazarene anyway, Philip tells Nathanael come and see and then as Nathanael was approaching which is exactly what we see in the parable of the prodigal son as the prodigal son was approaching the father rushed out to meet him so in the gospel of John we see the same thing personified in Nathanael as Nathanael was approaching Jesus said behold an Israelite in whom there is no guile. Now, the readers of the Gospel of John and the Gospel of Matthew, the apostles, knew that he said an Israelite, not a Judean, an Israelite representing the lost sheep of the house of Israel, the northern tribes, Galilee of the Gentiles, the Nazarenes, and the Israelite in whom there is no guile. And so only God knows if I'm without guile. Right, right that's in my heart, God reads my heart, and so Nathaniel naturally said, how do you know if I'm without guile, and Jesus said before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree, which is very symbolic, we don't have time to go into it, but Nathaniel understood and recognized there are three prophecies of the return of the remnant of Israel, he recognized the prophecy in Isaiah that we talked about, the prophecy in jeremiah with ephraim repenting and repentant ephraim is without guile and then the third one is in zephaniah where it says in zephaniah that's one of the minor prophets but it says in zephaniah the remnant will return the remnant in whom there is no guile and so nathaniel recognized all these prophecies And he said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel, not the king of Judah. All of that is significant. But the king of Israel is David, who brings together all the tribes of Israel. So it's about the reconciliation of cousins who are at enmity. And those are the the descendants of Ephraim and the descendants of Judah, We're at enmity for
0: centuries
1: and we're not reconciled until Jesus came in the flesh.
0: You know, when you were talking about the father's mercy, uh, and and I had mentioned about forgiveness. I think a lot of people have difficulty in forgiving themselves. Yes. It's a whole other topic. Yes. Uh, I, I particularly see this with women who have had abortion. They think, I, I've committed such a sin, so grievous that God could never forget me. But we, we forget, Jesus said, I am love and mercy itself. And um, you just have to ask for his mercy. And he's there as a repentant father. Interesting quote out of St. Faustina's diary. She said, we resemble God most when we forgive our neighbor. And when you think of all the scripture you've just quoted in the history and the tribes in Israel and the north and the south, and Jesus comes, and she says, "We resemble God most when we forgive our neighbor." How beautiful is that? And we're all striving to be Christ-like. You know, we we need to be a reflection of that image uh, to our families, to our loved ones, to those we work with, and um, we resemble God most when we forgive our neighbors. And and it's yes, it's-
1: absolutely, absolutely, and forgiveness is so fundamental so primary the message of uh, is god's forgiveness is divine mercy i mean that's in a nutshell the message of divine mercy is god's forgiveness and in the our father uh, that's you brought up something that's very uh, important that we often forget or, or we overlook In the our father i believe it says we are asking god our father in heaven to forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So we have God forgiving us and us forgiving others, but we also have to forgive ourselves. That's there. That's part of it, that when we trust God, Jesus, I trust in you, and we sincerely ask God to forgive us, we go to, we're baptized, we receive the sacrament of of confession, we receive the Holy Eucharist, we have to trust that god forgives us and we have to forgive ourselves and you're exactly right if i can repeat again people who have been involved with abortion and not just mothers but fathers i myself um fathered a child by the grace of god it's a miracle she's alive today and uh I love her dearly. She's, uh, anyway, uh, 50 years ago, when her mother told me that she was pregnant, I wanted her mother to get an abortion. So I have to forgive myself. Right. And my daughter, do- the miracle of God's divine mercy is that my daughter now forgives me. Or it was my intention to abort her. Right.
0: Right. Mark, in your manuscript, the one of the part of the subtitle is um, Jewish hippie finds the key to unlocking the floodgates, and I love the word floodgates because Jesus talks about that in Faustina's diary. The floodgates. It's not a trickle of mercy. It's not a <laughs> slow flowing river here. It's a floodgate of mercy. You found the key to unlocking the floodgates of mercy. Um, in the last short time we've got here what what do you what do you mean by that how do, how do you answer that what are the, well, the key uh, very quickly if
1: i can try to do it quickly um i think there was a, a the first real strong trickle the real strong stream that started flowing i would say was of divine mercy was our lady of guadalupe and i think it was 1532 in mexico she said am i not your mother And that was a little stream of divine mercy. And then that was repeated many times. And the stream grew and grew. And then there was uh, the miraculous medal in 1832. Then there was uh, our lady of Lourdes in 1856, I believe, or 1858. Uh, The stream got bigger and bigger. And then there was our lady of Fatima. And it it became a, a big rushing river. But then there was the revelations to St. Faustina when God really wanted to open up the floodgates because that was, you know, between the two world wars. And so now we have those floodgates wide open and what we see is Joseph becoming known as our spiritual father and the Holy Family becoming known. And this is all part of the floodgates of divine mercy that god is opening up to us today and and just uh the last thing i maybe or the first thing if you start the new testament in the gospel of matthew and you get past the uh the genealogy the infancy narrative when matthew starts talking about john the baptist and john the baptist came preaching and he said repent and then Matthew goes on and then he tells the same thing it's a parallelism with the same vocabulary he says and Jesus came preaching and this is what Jesus said repent and so the word there is repent and that's what we were talking about the prodigal son the father is is you know wants him to come home but the father won't violate his free will and waits for the son to repent to turn to change his mind and come to himself
0: well that's a beautiful uh, reflection today we've had with uh, mark drogan and mercy unbound i want to thank the audience for joining us remember you can subscribe on youtube you can listen to the podcast on all the main uh, platforms but especially anchor.fm slash dr b-r-y-a-n thatcher.com Thank you again for joining. For more information, go to the website. And uh, I think a key element we talked about today uh, really is uh, I enjoyed the historical perspective, but in all of us in today's families, we've got to love each other, we got to forgive each other, and we have to be a reflection of Christ to each other. And uh, that will transform the world. I think it was Martin Luther King said, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can, and Jesus is the light of the world. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can, and we know Jesus is love and mercy itself, so thank you again, Mark, for joining us. I look forward to having you back. Uh, Get back to me for sure when the manuscript is published, but we've got a lot of other areas in that book we can talk about, so Thank you again, everybody, for joining us today on Mercy Unbound, and I hope to see you next week. God bless. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel for the video portion. The podcast can be heard at anchor.fm slash drbrian B-R-Y-A-N, Thatcher, T-H-A-T-C-H-E-R, and on all the major podcast forums. I would love to speak at your church or conference, and please consider supporting our efforts to spread the truth to a hurting world. Thank you again, and for more information, go to the website at drbryanthatcher.com.